0: Okay, so we're going to carry on our study in Mark's gospel, so uh, Mark chapter 4, if you want to turn there, but let's just pray uh, and just commit this time of study to the Lord. Father, we do just thank you, as we always do, Lord, just for the privilege of being able to study your word. Lord, we recognize that, Lord, for centuries there were many that didn't have a copy of the scriptures themselves, They had to rely on things that were being told of others and hope that that was true. Lord, there are many in this world even today that still don't have access to your word. Lord, Lord, live in places where it's forbidden to own a copy or to read scripture. And so, Lord, we are truly grateful uh, that we live at a time where not only we have your word, but we have so many resources, Lord, access to teaching um, and tools that help us to understand, Lord, uh, even the very details. Uh, And so we just thank you, Lord, help us to grow this morning together and learn a little bit more about you, your love for us, uh, and Father, what you would have of us. So we just give you this time. Speak to us now as we study your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are carrying on, as I say, Mark's gospel. uh, And we keep reiterating the point, but I think it's important um, that Mark was just so excited. And it just comes across in every page as he's trying to tell you about Jesus. This individual that had come into Mark's life who he'd seen and heard about, seemingly had followed a little bit, um, maybe not fully appreciating who Jesus really was. But certainly there's a point, there's a transition in Mark's life when he comes to know Jesus for himself. As a result of that, he seems to set himself this task of writing down as much as he can about Jesus and about the events and seems to sit at Peter's feet and record the experiences that Peter had had. Uh, and so what we have in Mark's gospel is really Peter's account of the events that took place. But Mark, just so enthralled with Jesus. What a great place to be. You know, I, I, for all of us, I would love if that was our testimony, that we, were honestly, we could honestly say that we are enthralled with Jesus. We just can't get enough of Jesus. We want to know more about him, more what he did, and more who he is. and well, the, the, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, all that they said about him. And all that we have expounded in the New Testament. Well, we're going to jump into chapter 4 and we're going to see, we're going to start by the Sea of Galilee. That's the, the Sea of Galilee. just a beautiful, lovely, wonderful place. If anybody's had opportunity to visit, I know some have. Uh, it just brings these scriptures to life to actually see it um, yourself. Let's uh, jump into the text. So chapter 4, verse 1. And he, that's Jesus, began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude. Now, we've already seen this type of thing happen. Remember previously, Jesus had called for the disciples to go and find a boat that he could get into because the, the press of the crowd was so great. So he gets into this small fishing boat. We showed a picture a couple of weeks ago of the type of boat that may have been. But this time he seems to enter, into the word that's used there, entered into a ship. It's a larger vessel, so possibly have got into a smaller boat to get out to the larger boat, and then stands there, and from just off the shore is now speaking to this multitude. Um, and the, the word that we have, the great multitude, uh, is a superlative. It, it's the largest seemingly, the largest crowd yet that has gathered together to hear Jesus. This is a phenomenal crowd that's all come together now, just off the shore by Capernaum, to hear Jesus. And of course, in the crowd, there's those who are interested, they've maybe understood a little bit of the things that have been taking place. Some of them may have even connected them to the Old Testament prophecies. There was, of course, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that were trying to trip him up, those that had come down from Jerusalem, looking for any reason to accuse him. And there were those who were just a bit curious just fascinated because of who Jesus was and what he was doing, the miracles and so on, but probably had no real intent to let it change their lives. And it's the same with people today. So, again, began to teach by the seaside. There was a great, there was gathered in this great multitude so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. The whole multitude was by the sea on the land and he taught them many things by parables. said unto them in his doctrine now we're going to see what he says in a moment but we see this is the way that jesus spoke now so often people seem to have this wrong impression and wrong idea of parables and we have talked about this before but parables weren't these lovely little children's stories parables were designed to convey a truth so parables is taking something that Was known a situation or whatever, and then putting alongside that the, the parable, the para, putting alongside that some of the truth that wanted Jesus, Jesus wanted to convey, but also to conceal it. See, Jesus spoke in parables not so that people would understand necessarily, but so that it would be hidden from people that didn't have ears to hear. And we see this very much in the parables in Matthew's gospel, and we're going to see it echoed here that Jesus speaks and really what he says is for those that have ears to hear. And what we immediately deduce is that a lot of what Jesus says, people don't get. A lot of people don't understand. Jesus doesn't go running after or chasing after everybody trying to make them understand. Of course, we've got the account of the rich young ruler. Some actually think that could be Mark himself. And when Jesus presents him with this challenge to sell all his goods and follow after Jesus. He can't do that. He walks away. And it's interesting because Jesus doesn't go and chase after him, go, sorry, that was that was a little bit harsh, it wasn't very Christian of me. You know. Jesus lets him go. And so we get into what Mark records for us the doctrine, as he says, of Jesus. Jesus first he says, listen, hearken. And as you imagine all the crowd just kind of simmering, just, just trying to listen intently to what Jesus is saying. Behold, they went out a sower to sow. I just wonder, you know, in this area, if you look around the hills, there's lots of fields and places you can see. It may well have been that off in the distance there was a sower sowing. And maybe this is why Jesus uses this as an object lesson maybe pointing up to the hillside in the distance, saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. Something they can straight away visualize and understand. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. You see the consistency with all the parables that Jesus gives. And the fowls are never depicted as being good. Fowls are always depicted as being emissaries of Satan, workers of iniquity, effectively. They devour up the seed. Verse 5, Some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprung up because it had no depth of earth. Of course, in a moment, we're going to get to Jesus explaining these things. But straight away, we know we're talking, we're very familiar with these parables. Jesus is talking about people and the way they respond to the word of God that's the seed, the seed is the word of God and some have that seed snatched away by the devil some seemingly make an enthusiastic start but they've got no depth, no depth of earth just those who are curious and that was all but when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no roots and it withered away. That speaks of the trials, the temptations, the challenges that life throws at us. There's so many people that think this Jesus thing is a good idea. It seems to make people happy and why not try it? But of course, when persecution, when challenges come, they have no depth. So they just wither. Verse 7, some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. I'll talk about the thorns again in a moment, but others fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprung up and increased, and brought forth some 30, some 60, some 100. And he said unto them, he that has ears to hear, let him hear those that really want to understand the, the the depth of the teaching here, you can if you want to. A little while later, we're told that when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. So the multitude was now dispersed. And of course, Jesus taught other things beside this little snapshot that Mark recounts for us. But this is the thing that was really, as Peter's, Telling these things, Mark says, oh, yeah, that, I'll write that down. Seemingly this connects with Mark for some reason. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. As Jesus is Jesus saying, I'm telling you some truths, some wonderful truths that have been hidden from the foundation of the earth. Things that the prophets desired to look into. But now to you they're being revealed. Ephesians, it speaks there of the things that were once hidden, that are now being revealed. Things that once were concealed from understanding. But now God is allowing us to understand a greater, more full comprehension of his his overall plan. So, he goes on to try and explain to his own, those that are there, those that are following Jesus. He says, that seeing they may see and not perceive... We're just going to go over their heads. And hearing they may hear and not understand, Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. It's it's quite a hard thing that he says because the reality is that seed is being scattered abroad. The word of God has gone out. And there are some that are not going to hear. They hear with their ears, but they don't understand. They, They see the things that God has done, they look at the world, they see creation, they see abundant evidence. We were talking a little on Thursday night, again, about how we can evangelize and reach out to our unsaved loved ones. And seldom is the problem evidence. The problem is always the heart. And Jesus is saying that there are people that are cold hearted, to the things of God. They don't listen. They don't hear. And so even though these things are being said, they don't understand them. This is why sadly this morning we were in here as a small group of people and out there, there's a whole multitude of people that don't think they need church. They don't think they need God. Verse 13, he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? And kind of key verse really. Jesus says that this parable that he's given is kind of a key to understanding there's a coding here that gives us an understanding of all the parables that jesus would give and he goes on to explain just as we have in matthew's account he said the sower soweth the word of course jesus did that the disciples the apostles the early church and then down through the ages the church has continually sown the word you and i have that privilege today of sowing the word of speaking the word of God into other people's lives. We have this wonderful condensation of the, the word which we call the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We have this word that we sow. Notice of course with the sow, and you can imagine these group that came back by the seaside as they were looking up, if there was you know, this sower up there, somewhere on the hillside, then quite possibly would have been. But the the sower wasn't only just being careful to sow in the field, just scattering the seed, and so, the wind would have caught some of the seed, it would have blown onto the stony stony ground. But nevertheless, still carried on sowing the seed. And, and that's what you and I have to do, regardless of where it falls. We have to sow. You see, the sower soweth. That's what the sower does. That's what you and I have got to do. We have got to sow the word of God. We've got to speak and teach the word. Again, in the season, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. The world needs to hear this word. Because there are those that will have roots. There, there are those who whom it will be good soil And these are they that fell by so sorry, sorry, yeah, the, sorry, sorry, the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. when they have heard, Satan, see again, the birds of the air, immediately hear directly to uh, Satan being responsible. Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Oh, how sad it is for those people that have allowed their lives to get to such a place that they've become so influenced by satanic things that immediately they hear the word of God. Satan can counter it with something else. You know, sadly, we do live in an age and a generation where people can get into all sorts of things that are, quite frankly, satanic. And so often these things are now passed off as normal. Some of the computer games that young people And even adults play. are horrible. Some of the films that people choose to watch are vile. Some people have allowed Satan to influence their thinking so much that even if the seed falls, nothing takes place because Satan can immediately take away the word. Their hearts have become... Cold and hard. Now that doesn't mean that even those people through prayer can't come eventually to a place. It doesn't mean we should give up on anybody. Sadly, there are so many that fall into that category. And then... And these are they. It's interesting the way that that Mark recalls this because it's almost as if, and again, I'm just just speculating here, so don't make doctrine out of this. But it's almost as if they've kind of left the shore and they're now kind of walking through the fields that they saw the sower sowing. Because Jesus almost, it seems that he's pointing to things. And these are they, likewise, which were sown on stony ground. So it's like they've left the shore, they're climbing up the, the hillside where the sower had been sowing. And now he's pointing to the stony ground. They see some of the seeds that were scattered there. These are they, likewise, which are sown on stony ground. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Have you come across people like that? Seem to make some sort of profession of faith. They seem so excited. And it lasts for a few weeks and then they're back to where they were. And it's so frustrating because you think, I really thought they had it. I really thought they understood. Verse 17 says, Jesus said, They have no roots in themselves. So endure but for a time and afterwards when affliction or persecution. Is it. Notice for the words' sake. Immediately they are offended. Well, don't we live at a time possibly like never before? I'm always careful of saying those things because all the way through the ages, there's been challenges for every group of Christians. The early church had so many challenges that we don't have to face. You know, during the the Dark Ages, as it's referred to, what a challenging time for believers. So we're not unique in the problem department. We we're just part of the ongoing struggle. speaking again there's people that are and they're offended because of the word what the Bible says well of course we now have a remedy for that problem because there are many churches that have their particular version of the Bible that doesn't speak about sin doesn't have a God that would send people to hell has a God that clearly has no concept of justice because he's quite happy to let anybody into heaven So it doesn't offend anybody. Sadly, there are many churches, many even denominations that are going down that kind of road. Many that don't teach the word, that are offended because of the word's sake. So this kind of group of people, actually they can stay in a kind of club and they can keep having their ears tickled by things that they want to hear and they can feel good about themselves and go home knowing that they've been to church that week or or whatever. But of course, it's just pretense. There's no relationship there. This isn't what God has called us to. You see, the word of God is truth. Jesus himself states that. These are, again, these people that just don't like to stand out. They don't want to be persecuted. They don't like that affliction. They don't want to stand up for something where they're made to seem... Well, fanatical or extreme. Have you noticed how, of course, because of the whole Islamic extremism, it overflows into Christianity, and now because there's Christian, the Christian fundamentalists. And of course, we've been branded with that for many years. Nothing new. But now it seems being such a bad thing. And how Christian fundamentalists indoctrinate their children. Yeah. You know, well, if we don't, the world world will. Let's carry on indoctrinating them with the truth. That's what I say. But teaching them to think as well, because that's the other thing that world doesn't do. The world does not encourage people to think. So the second group, then, offended because of the word of God. And then, almost a little bit further along this, this path, Jesus says, "And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as." Hear the word. See the the problem is not always hearing the word, it's the response, it's what happens with the word, what do we do with the word of God? It's our response to. And we told in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. How sad it is that so many, even within the church, fall into this category today that they allow the things of this world to stop them being fruitful. You know, we've got such a a great system in this world to provide for every possible thing we could want or need. But all those things are deceitful. You know, as you know, I commute and it's rare to go for a month without having somebody in their life by jumping in front of a train either in the main line or on the tubes or something. You know, and very often it's not people who are down and out, who don't have an employment, don't have anywhere to live. Very often it's, it's very well-to-do people that are very wealthy, that have all the kind of things, the deceitfulness of riches, you see. You know, if you look at the stats on suicide, it's very much a, a thing for the upper class. Not to say that others don't, but statistically it's people that are well off, people that have got everything you'd think they'd want. Now, the world is great at promising. The devil is great at promising things, making it seem alluring and drawing us in. That's why it's temptation. If we weren't tempted by it, it wouldn't be temptation. But what a shame, again, the cares of this world, the deceitful rich of riches, they choke the word. So these are people that have heard the word there's been some sort of connection there but the world becomes more important i just pray this morning for us that we don't allow the things of this world to choke the word in our own lives you know think about your past week i'm not asking for a show of hands or anything but how much time have you spent in the word compare it to a hobby or a pastime compare it to the other things that you've done with your time how much time does the word get in your life or has the word already started to be choked in you because of all those other things I can't remember the exact title but I've just ordered some little booklets that we were talking about yesterday on the school of ministry and something something along the lines of the, the curse of the urgent or something along those lines or the problem of the urgent. You know, the way that those urgent things in life just take over. And they prevent us from doing the things that actually we ought to do. There's always some pressing thing that's demanding our time and our attention. How often do those things pull us away from the Word of God? It's such a battle, it's such a hard thing to find time to read the Word of God individually and then... If you try and do that as a couple, as a Christian couple, well, it's easy to move mountains, it's hard. Because there's always something that will step in the way. There's always a challenge. We need to be very disciplined with these things. We need to pray for each other with these things. This is such a problem area, verse 20, for not just for people who don't believe that have gone off on tangents and have not accepted Jesus, but even for those that... Sorry, verse, verse 19... Uh, even those that have not but their faith and trust in Jesus it's so easy to become unfruitful now I don't believe that a believer can ever be completely unfruitful because if you are born again the Holy Spirit dwells within you if the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you even if there are still a number of carnal things in your life you will bear some fruit it's impossible not to bear fruit if you are born again but that fruit can be dramatically reduced. It can be a very poor quality fruit. You know, just think of all that the Lord would have do through us if only we would yield ourselves to him. Only if we would recognize the deceitfulness of all those things. Verse 20 then, and these are they. So now, see when we've got to the field. These are they which are sown on good ground. Such as hear the word... And receive it. I like that. It doesn't say understand it. It says receive it. Yeah, because we don't always understand the word. But it's important to receive it. It's like the Bereans. They receive the word with all readiness of mind. and search of scriptures daily to see whether those things are so. To be willing to receive the word. Even if it's hard, even if it challenges us, even if it says things that we don't quite like or don't always agree with initially, we need to receive the word of God. And we're told, and these individuals, as a result of hearing the word and receiving it, taking it into their hearts and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. Some 100. And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick because if you buy a candle and if you come to our house you'll find that we've bought lots of candles I got in trouble once because I lit one (laughs) apparently that was not supposed to happen they're supposed to be for decoration only I didn't know I was just going on this verse this verse tells me if you buy a candle, light it but truthfully in our lives, you know, if we've come to a place of being lit by Jesus, we shouldn't try and hide. We shouldn't try and keep it quiet. We should be like Mark. I think Mark probably smiled. I can just imagine him smiling as he writes his first down. Almost thinking, how can anybody enter into a relationship with Jesus and not want to tell everybody about it? You know, it's a bizarre thing as here to just to buy a candle and hide it away under a bed. Again, this was a time before electricity. You know, the candles were used to provide light. And those that have received the word, have heard the word, we should be bearing light because out of this group, although a lot of the seed would have fallen onto the open field, of course, And you'd have expected a greater harvest from the open field than even just the the seed that would have fallen on the wayside and elsewhere. You still need to bear witness because there are still those other areas, those other problems where people don't hear, they don't receive, they don't understand. The word is snatched away. The devil comes in. The pressures of this life. So those that do hear, we need to be Shining brightly. Verse 23 says, For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifest, neither was there anything kept secret, but it should come abroad. I mean, Jesus is revealing things that were hidden in, in the Old Testament. And, and the key thing, really, and all these parables speak about the church. That's what was hidden in the Old Testament. That's what the Old Testament saints looked wanted to look into. You know, God's plan always included the church. Just turn with me to Ephesians, if you will. And let's just read from chapter 3 of Ephesians. It says, Therefore, this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me, you would, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote. Before a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Breathe. Paul just inserts these long parentheses in his statements. He carries on in verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This was hidden in time past. He says, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. He says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all his saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable, unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. And then this often misunderstood but wonderful verse, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What it's saying is that through the existence of the church, through the unveiling of the church, God's plan can now be seen. It was a plan that God started before the foundation of the world. It will see its ultimate fulfillment in the new Jerusalem. As God and man walk in harmony, as Jew and Gentile are brought together in one. It's not saying as something that the church is to declare to the principalities and powers God's wisdom. We can not do that. How can we understand God's wisdom? It's above everything we can even imagine. No, no. God's wisdom is seen through the existence of the church. It's that the principalities and powers, they look on, they see us and they go, I get it. This is what God was doing. This was the plan. This was why that sacrificial system in the Old Testament existed. That's why Jesus had to come and shed his blood. To bring in all who would accept, all those who would receive his word, all those who had ears to hear. This is the mystery that's been unveiled and this is what these parables are all speaking of. Again, there's nothing hid which should not be manifest and there's, nothing, there's not anything secret That should come abroad. And that applies, of course, in terms of God's plan and revelation of these things, but also it speaks into people's hearts. Because there's nothing that people can have hidden away within their hearts that one day won't be made known. Everybody will stand before the judgment seat of God, the great white throne judgment. And they'll have to declare everything all their works, all their deeds. Of course, for the church, it is different because we will stand before the beamer seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And all of our sin is paid for. It'll be just a, a white page in a book. All our sin blotted out. And we will simply be rewarded effectively for verse 21. Whether or not we've allowed our light to shine. First Corinthians 3 speaks very much of the occasion when we'll stand before that judgment seat of Christ. And it speaks of gold, silver, precious stones, which of course are refined by fire. And wood, hay, and straw or stubble that get burnt up by fire. Speaking of the things that we do sow into the spirit and the things we do sow into the flesh. You know, if we spend our time on worldly, fleshly pursuits, those things, that will all get burned up. We'll have nothing to show. But if we spend our time sowing to God for the things of God, if we spend our time in ministry, serving Serving each other. Serving God. Well, those things will have an eternal reward associated with them. There's nothing hidden that shall not be manifest. There's, I've read this to you before. just to read it again. It's entitled Others May, You Cannot. Because in light of this, some of you serve and it may be that others don't see. Some of you pray continually and others aren't aware. But there's nothing here that will not be made known. Everything will, will come out. Everybody will receive their just rewards from our Father. Let's read this. This is by a guy called uh, G.D. Watson back in 18, well, sometime in the 1800s, 18 1900s. If God has called you to be really like Jesus, he will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility and put upon you such demands of obedience that you will not be able to measure yourself by other Christians. And in many ways, he will seem to let other good people do things which he will never let you do. Other Christians and ministers who seem very religious and useful can push themselves, pull wires, work schemes to carry out their Christian goals. These things you simply cannot do. Others may boast of their work or their writings or their success but the Holy Spirit will not allow you to do any such thing and if you ever try it he will lead you into some deep mortification that will make you despise yourself and all your good works. Others may be allowed to succeed in making money but most likely God will keep you poor because he wants you to have something far better than gold namely a helpless dependence on him and the joy of of seeing him supply your needs day by day out of an unseen treasury. The Lord may let others be honored and keep you hidden and unappreciated because he wants to produce some choice, fragrant fruit for his coming, for his coming glory, which can only be produced in the shade. He may let others do a work for him and get the credit for it, but he will make you work on and on without others knowing how much you are doing. And then... To make your work still more precious, he may let others get the credit for the work which you have done and thus make your reward ten times greater when Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit will rebuke you for little words or deeds or even feelings or for wasting your time, which other Christians never seem to be concerned about. But you must make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign and he has the right to do whatever he pleases with his own. He may not explain to you a thousand things which puzzle your reason in the way he deals with you if you will submit yourself to him in all things, he will wrap you up in a jealous love and bestow upon you many blessings which come only to those who are very near to his heart. Settle it then, that he is to have the privilege of tying your tongue or of chaining your hand or of closing your eyes in ways that he does not seem to use with others. Now when you are so possessed with the living God that your secret heart becomes pleased and delighted with this peculiar, personal, private, jealous, guardianship and management of the Holy Spirit over your life, then you'll have entered into the very vestibule of heaven itself. There is nothing here that shall not be manifest. There is nothing, anything secret that shall not come abroad. And Jesus then says, if any man as he is, is to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, take heed what you hear, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. It's fairly self-explanatory. For he that has to him shall be given, and he that has not from him shall be taken even that which he has. What a warning in regard to ministry. You know, because all of us should have some form of ministry where we serve each other in some way. You know, and if you serve in ministry, God will give you more. But if you choose not to step out and do things within the body, even the little you do have will be taken away. What a blessing and what a privilege it is to be able to serve. To be able to use, be used of God. And almost as we were saying last week, to be sometimes brought to that place, almost of exhaustion. Turn around and again, you know what? What a privilege that the Lord chooses to use us in the way that he does. What a privilege that sometimes we get to the end of the day and we've got no more strength. But we've still got a wonderful abiding relationship with our Saviour. And he will strengthen us and he will give us all that we need. And he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring up and grow up. And he knoweth not how. It's an incredible statement of grace, really. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately, he put it in the sickle because the harvest is come. Interesting, isn't it? It's speaking of the harvest, of the, 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 the seed become, becoming ready for harvest. Oh, and I think we're getting close. I think we're coming so close now to that time when the Lord will come back, as we were saying in our communion earlier, and take us home. Just waiting for the, the fruit to be fully produced. His church throughout the world. He says, verse 30, where wherefore shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which is when it is sown in the earth, it is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all the herbs and Shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air, oh no, there we go, we've already had this clue. We know that's not good. May lodge under the shadow of it. (laughs) Mustard seed should never grow into a tree. Another little lesson about the church. The church became something it should never have been. The church started meeting in homes, in catacombs, in in the tombs underground. Suddenly, with Emperor Constantine coming on the scene, Christianity becomes legalized. With the next emperor, it becomes the state religion. Suddenly, Christians start meeting in these lavish buildings that the pagans had once had. These buildings that had a raised platform at the front for their priests to stand up above the congregation. So the church starts adopting these pagan ideas and these pagan practices. They start taking these pagan feast days and using them for their own celebrations. Christmas, Easter and so on. And then of course, we find this marrying with the church and the political system of the world. And this idea that the church is going to conquer the world for Jesus. Of course, behind all of of that is a satanic lie. Sadly, that still goes on in the days in which we live. And we've seen through history how this mustard seed got twisted, got perverted. Of course, we've got those letters that Jesus gives us in the book of Revelation, which depict the progression down through the history of the church of these things. And the parables we have in Matthew 7, of course, speak of each step of that progression going forward. But ultimately, the church got twisted, it got distorted. And we're told, with many such parables spoke he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spoke he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Just love to have had that account when you if, if Mark or Peter have managed to record all those bits. I'd love to know the other things that Jesus said. Now, some of the other comments and bits we do get in the other gospels, but I'm sure there's so much I mean John makes the comment, doesn't it, at the end of his gospel. That there's so much that even the libraries of the world couldn't contain all the books. Well, you know what? We're gonna get eternity with Jesus. To hear all those things. I'm sure there'll be opportunity to ask questions did you say to the disciples? What were the other things that were not recorded in Scripture? Let's leave it there. Let's pick it up from there next week. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you so much again for your word. Lord, we're we're so mindful and aware, Lord, that around us we have people where the word has been sown and yet the devil has just snatched away that word. Lord, we've got others who, because of the deceitfulness of riches Lord the word has been choked in their lives Lord others where Father the, there's been a little bit of earth there's been a, a response but Lord never anything that has amounted to a genuine relationship with you Father we pray for those people Lord we're not going to give up on any single one of them and we pray Lord that their eyes will be open. that Father you would cultivate in them Lord a rich and good soil that as your word is sown As we have opportunities to speak, Lord, they would hear. Oh, Father, we pray for ears to hear. Not just for ourselves, Lord, but for our loved ones, particularly for those that you give us opportunity to speak to. Lord, help us to be, Lord, as a light burning brightly in this world. Lord, help us to be, Lord, on fire for you, Lord, like Mark is. Just this passion, this desire to tell people about Jesus. Lord, do this work in us by your grace, we pray. For Lord, we recognize that soon it will be the time of the harvest and you will take your own, you will gather your own into your barn. Lord, how we long for that time. We long, Lord, for that drinking of that cup again with you as we were celebrating this morning. Father, in these days that remain, help us to redeem the time, to use every moment wisely for your glory, not being caught up with the things of this world, Impress these things upon our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May God richly bless you through this coming week.